Good morning again, everybody. If you have your Bible with you, please open with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. One of the ways to think about the Christian life is turning. Turning away from something and turning towards something. This is this idea of repentance, which means turning away from sin and turning to God in Jesus. And when we turn away from sin and when we turn to God, to Jesus Christ in faith, God sweeps us up into a cloud of beautiful and undeserved blessings. And this, this cloud of his grace just envelops us spiritually. And so many of the blessings that God gives to us are really just hard to comprehend because they are just so mind-blowingly good. It's hard to get your mind around it. And I think that's why God tells us over and over, I want you to meditate on these things. Think about these things. This is, this is, this is what I want you spending your life thinking about, this good news. And one of these blessings from God to us is that through God's Son, Jesus Christ, God the Father becomes our Father. God the Father knows us. He loves us. He wants friendship with us, okay? He, he, to go with Jesus' description of what God is like, according to the parable of the prodigal son, he's like the Father who runs after us and wraps his arms around us and hugs us and kisses us on the cheek and he tells us he loves us. This is the way that God the Father is toward his children. He's not a father from whom we are estranged. He's the father who is always with us. He's the father who is always for us. He's the father who made us, the father who loves us perfectly. He's the father who tells us he loves us. He's the father who has shown us and continues to show us that he loves us. He's a father who wants us near to him. And this is why Ephesians 2.13 says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's great. God wants this kind of closeness, this kind of relationship with us. When we think about the different things that God does in the gospel, we sometimes use these big words of like justification refers to our legal standing of, of not being guilty and being righteous in Christ. And regeneration is, is the idea of, of God making us born again through faith in him. But adoption, adoption is God adopting us into his family so that we can have friendship with him. See, that adoption piece doesn't have to be part of the gospel. God didn't have to include that. But the gospel piece says this, God wants relationship with you. And he wants to be your father. And you can always count on him. And so this morning, we're going to look again at Ephesians 1, 3 to 14 to see what, what exactly this means, that God has adopted us in Jesus Christ. So before we look at that, let me ask the Lord to help us. Dear Lord, thank you for this good news uh, that, that you have adopted us in Jesus Christ, that for those who are far away now, God, you want to adopt them into your family. We thank you for the gospel of grace, that this is all done by you 
because of you, through you, that you have grace and compassion toward us. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us now as we read your word, illuminate this text. Give us great joy and hope in you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's start at verse one, or excuse me, we'll start at verse three and we'll read through verse 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's good news right there. So I have summarized these verses this way. Praise the Lord for loving us lavishly, excuse me, immensely, by blessing us lavishly with his glorious grace through Jesus Christ. And in these verses, Paul is explaining to us how much God loves us, and he's explaining to us how God has loved us. And Paul hopes that we will believe this, that we'll believe that God loves us so that we will then respond by loving God back, by thanking God, by praising God, by obeying God's commands for us that he's given to us in his word. That's what Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so we're taking several Sundays to explore the different aspects of God's love for us that Paul describes in this passage. Last time my sermon title was Praise God for His Predestinating Love, and today my sermon title is Praise God for His Adopting Love. And as we dive into this concept of God's adoption of us, uh, there are two other important passages to read in the New Testament that kind of elaborate on this further, and we'll put them on the screen. The first is Galatians 3, 24, to 20, uh, excuse me, 24 through 4, 7. It says this, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many, of you were, as, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. 
There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything, but he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. And then the other passage is Romans 8, 14 to 17. It says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So my goal this morning is to answer three questions about spiritual adoption or God's adoption of us. First question is this, what does it mean to be adopted by God? Second question, how does God adopt people into his family? And third, how does being an adopted child of God change my relationship with God and my relationship with other Christians? So let's look at those one at a time. First, what does it mean to be adopted by God? Well, I like Wayne Grudem's simple definition. Adoption is an act of God whereby he makes us members of his family. And to be more specific, adoption is an act of God whereby he makes us his sons and daughters. So adoption is an act of God whereby he becomes our father. So for the Christian, God is no longer just our creator. He's no longer the only the, the, the God who rules over us, he is that. But because he has adopted us through Christ, God the Father becomes our dad. And that's why Paul says twice that the Spirit, through the Spirit, we call him Abba. That word means dad in Aramaic. It's one of the first words a baby can say. A lot of uh, cross languages One of the first sounds a baby can make sounds like that. It sounds like the syllable ab, abba, or papa. Little kids, papa, abba. And it means daddy. And that's why even Jesus called the father abba, daddy, when he was in the the garden praying. This is the kind of intimate relationship that God adopts us into, that he's your dad. He's not just a father figure. And he's the perfect dad. And he loves us. And the fact that God adopts 
those who trust in him in, in this way implies a few things. First of all, it implies that from the moment of our conception, our souls were under the guardianship of someone or something. Okay? And the second thing is this. Since God adopted us at some point in time, then it implies that before we were adopted in space, time, history, in our lives, we were not his family members before that happened. We were not his sons and daughters. He was not our adopted dad. We didn't have that kind of relationship with him. And this is exactly how scripture describes our condition before we trusted in Jesus and before God adopted us. Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 says that before God adopted us, we followed, not God, we followed the prince of the power of the air, the devil. It says we were sons, but we weren't sons of God. We were sons of disobedience. We were children, but we weren't children of God. It says we were children of wrath. And so we were followers of the devil and sons of the devil, sons who obeyed the devil and who disobeyed God, sons who were under the wrath of God because we were hostile toward God. And this has been the natural spiritual condition of every human ever since humanity rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden. And so, in order to be freed from this hostile relationship with God, to be freed from his wrath, in order to be freed from the devil, in order to be freed um, from all of this, we need someone to adopt us out of this terrible situation. We need someone to break us free from all this stuff and to bring us into their home and to make us their own. We need someone better to legally adopt us and to make us their family. And that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died for us. Jesus died to put our sin to death. This sin which was putting us in bondage to Satan and to sin and to God's wrath. The sin that kept us enslaved to hostility to God. And so Jesus, God's son, God the Father, sent Jesus, who voluntarily became all of this ugliness, all of this sin. He bore it in his body on the tree, and he suffered God's wrath in our place for us so that we can be adopted by God, <laughs> so that we can be God's children who are now free from all condemnation. Sydney and I were talking about this week. That, think about this. Romans 8.1 says, There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Listen, if God does not condemn you, who is greater than God to condemn you? Nobody. God has your back. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means when Satan tries to condemn you, when other people try to condemn you, when your past tries to condemn you, you bring that 
to the cross and said, no, there's no condemnation for me because I'm united to Jesus. Wow, I'm a child of God. And one of the most important things to learn about this, you know, we, we, we read it in the Bible and the more that we try to do life our own way and experience how broken our own decisions can lead us, we see the truth of the, of the reality that you and I cannot free ourselves from our own stupid decisions, from our own destruction, from destroying our own lives. We cannot save ourselves from Satan and sin and God's wrath. Only God can do it. And only God has done it. And he tells us, turn away from all that sin and turn to me and come into my family. <laughs> and so that is God's word for you today. If you're not a Christian, you need to know he's, this is the reality of your condition, that you are in spiritual bondage, that you are, what it says, you are dead in your trespasses. You're following the prince of the power of the air. You're a son of disobedience. You're a child of wrath. And God says, I'll bring you out of that. Believe on me, and I'll bring you into my family. <laughs> I pray that you would. That's our prayer at this church, that you would know the Lord. Ephesians 1, 3 to 6 says, let's re review this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now let's hop down to verses 11 to 14 where Paul explains what else it means to be a child of God. In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So Christian, because God has adopted you, he's also given you an inheritance as his child. God has not only made you his child, he's also made you one of his heirs. You're an heir of God in Christ. And the way that God guarantees you your inheritance, it says, is by indwelling you. In other words, God the Holy Spirit actually comes and lives inside of you until one day in the future, God gives you your inheritance in full. And so just like many other gospel truths, you have received part of your adoption now, if you're a believer, but you will not receive all of it until Jesus makes the new heavens and the new earth. And so your inheritance is both a present reality and it's a future reality. Your adoption, your inheritance are already and not yet. That's why in the New Testament it talks about, we have been, it talks about adoption 
both as a past tense thing, something that God has done for us, and in other passages, it talks about it in the future tense. We're waiting for our adoption as sons. So it's an already and not yet thing. So what exactly, though, is this inheritance that God has waiting for us? Well, uh, Wayne Grudem writes this. As heirs, we have the rights to a great eternal inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, according to 1 Peter. All the great privileges and blessings of heaven are laid up for us and put at our disposal because we're children of the king, members of the royal family, I don't want to get out of this royal family. I want to be in this royal family, okay? Princes and princesses who will reign with Christ over the new heavens and the new earth, according to Revelation 2. I also like this. I, I read this on the website, gotquestions.org. It says, what belongs to Jesus will also belong to us. Wow. Jesus is God. Christ gives us his glory, his riches, and all things are ours in Jesus Christ. It's, it's mind-blowing. We, we talk about God's grace a lot in our church because everything about this good news, everything about our salvation in Jesus is because of God's grace, and it's through God's grace. All of it. We, we simply would never and could never be children and heirs of God were it not for his compassion and love and grace toward us. And it's very important to remember that everything that God does is just, it's, it's fair, he's good, and God does not have to show us mercy. We are the lawbreakers, not him. God does not have to save anybody from eternal destruction. God does not have to, he did not have to send his son to suffer and to die on the cross. God does not have to adopt anyone into his family, but he does this, and he does this for us, according to his own purpose, and according to his will, and according to his grace, to the praise of his glorious name. Amen? Thank you, God. Praise you, God, for doing this. This is such good news. Okay, now let's move on to the second question. How does God adopt people into his family? Let's start by looking more closely at Ephesians 1, verses 4 to 5. The last two words of verse 4 start a new sentence in the ESV translation, which is what I'm using. So let's start there. It says, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So according to verse five, who is the one doing the adopting? Or for my fellow English majors, who or what is the subject of the sentence? He. He is the one who predestined us for adoption as sons. So he refers back to verse one, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the one doing the adopting here is he, God, specifically God the Father. Now when parents adopt a child, who does the adopting legally? 
Do the parents legally adopt the child or does a child legally adopt his or her parents? The parents legally adopt the child. And the reality is that no matter how much a child wants a particular parent or couple to adopt him or her, that child can't force anyone to adopt him or her. Instead, parents, as the legal guardians, choose to adopt a child or children. The parents are the one who adopt the child. The parents are the one who welcome the child into their family. The parents are the ones who make the child legally theirs. And the same is true when God adopts us into his family. See, God is not our father because we said, you gotta do this, you have to do this, or you're unfair. No, God is not our father because we forced him to. God wanted to adopt us. Think about that. As an individual, I mean, there's a corporate aspect of this, but there's an individual aspect to this too, that God wanted you, Christian, in his family. He wants you to know him as your your father, as your spiritual dad. Is the perfect dad. All of our dads, including me, I'm a dad, are fallen. But we have a father in heaven who is not fallen and who is perfect and who will never let us down. And he loves us. And he brings us to himself in Jesus. And so God was the initiator of this adoption. He, He was the doer of the adoption. He did all the work necessary to accomplish and purchase the adoption on the cross. When did he decide to do this? When did he decide to adopt us? Well, verses five and 11 say that he predestined us for this. And the prefix pre means before something. So before what did God choose to adopt us? Look at verse four. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So God decided that he would adopt us a long, long time ago. Before he created the world, before he created you and me, knowing full well all the ways that we would sin against him, the ways that we would fall short, the ways that we would sin against each other, he predestined to adopt us. And knowing all of that stuff, what would motivate God to predestine us for adoption as his children? The answer is found in the very important two-word phrase at the end of verse four. In love. God's love for us is what motivated him to adopt us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the light. That's why so much of the Bible, New Testament, I mean, when, you know, the revelation, God's revelation has been progressive. It's like the further in time believers got, the more that God revealed to them the clarity of what this adoption meant. That's why so much in in the New Testament, there's just like the disciples, the apostles, they're getting this more and more. They're understanding this. That's why 1 John 3, 1, he writes, see what kind of love the Father has given to us? That we should be called children of God? And so we are. We're loved. And we're children of God through Jesus. God loved us when we didn't exist yet. He foreknew us when we didn't exist yet. 
He chose us, it says, when we didn't exist yet. He predestined to adopt us as the sons and daughters when we didn't exist yet. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. And so if God did all of that before he even created the world, what did it look like from our vantage point? When did we, who are Christians, experience God's adoption in our lives? Well, before God adopted us into his family, in our lifetime, God had to make us born again. The Spirit had to impart to us new spiritual life. The Spirit had to make us into new creations with new hearts that love God and that trust God. Hearts, souls that are different than what we were. So that our lives would now be characterized by a love for God, by an increasing joy in obeying God and increasing displeasure in what we used to enjoy, which is disobeying God. God had to do that for us. He had to change us. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, so that was a specific time in your life when you heard the word of truth, the, and the, what's the word of truth? The gospel of your salvation, the good news of Jesus' life, perfect life, substitutionary death, a victorious resurrection and ascension for sinners so that they can be reconciled to God. When you heard it and when you believed in him, when you entrusted yourself to God and put your faith in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And then... Remember, we read this last time too. John 1, 12 to 13 says this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You were born of God. And so Christian, when you heard the gospel, at some point, God made you born again. Doesn't mean it was the first time you heard the gospel. It could have been whenever, according to God's plan. But God made you born again at some point, and you trusted in him, and you trusted in the gospel. And at that point, God adopted you into his family. And you experienced God's adoption for you at that point, when you heard and when you believed. You may not have felt immediately like an adopted child of God. Thank God our, our, that our... Uh, our position before God is not determined by how we feel about it. It's based on the reality of Jesus's and the efficacy, the, the effectiveness of Jesus's death and resurrection for us. So here's another fun question. What exactly happened to us in the spiritual realm when this happened? When, when God made you born again, when he adopted you into his family, what, what happened? Well, let's look back at Ephesians 1.5. It says he predestined us for adoption as sons through whom? Through Jesus Christ. So, all of these spiritual realities, uh, and specifically the adoption that we're talking about, happened and were applied to you one way, through Jesus Christ. There's no other way to be rescued. There's no other way to, to be freed from hostility toward God, to, uh, to be freed from Satan, from sin, from hell, than by being saved through Jesus Christ because he is God, okay? So Jesus is the only Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
Jesus is what God the Father calls here his beloved. Jesus is the beloved. He's God's beloved son. In verse six, it says, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And so in other words, I love talking about this. The way that God makes us his sons and daughters is by uniting us to his beloved. Okay? There's no other way for any of us to know God except for being united to the beloved Jesus Christ. There's no hope for any of us except to somehow be united to the beloved Son of God. And this is why Paul describes the Christian as being hidden in Christ. We are spiritually covered by Christ, by his righteousness, by his divine blood. Colossians 3.3 says this, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The Holy Spirit led Paul to do a really good job <laughs> articulating a, an, a, 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 a huge idea in a very concise amount of words there. Um, that's, that's just mind-blowing, that truth there. <clears throat> Paul further describes this, the Christian's union with Christ, by using the imagery of baptism, and specifically baptism by immersion. Galatians 3.27 says this, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Paul's not talking here about your physical baptism. We do our best to make sure that everybody who is baptized is a believer, but the reality is that we know a lot of people who have been baptized and who have not demonstrated fruits of the Spirit, and we pray that they are believers and maybe they will come back. But what we really need is to be saved is, is to be baptized into Jesus, okay? So Paul here in Galatians 3.27 is talking about God baptizing believers into himself. Immersing us into himself. Through the Spirit, think about this image. I mean, this, I'd never thought about it this, this, this way before, which may, could be wrong. That means I might be wrong, okay? Um, but this is what I see. <laughs> Through the Spirit, God the Father spiritually baptizes you into his beloved Son, Jesus Christ. He submerges you into the Son. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that amazing? What that means is when that happens, your old self is destroyed. Your, your old self has killed with Christ. It's united to Christ on that cross and it's dead. Your guilt was killed by Christ because he killed your sin. You have been purified now by the living water of Christ who immerses you completely. You've been covered by the robe of Christ's righteousness. And then God has now raised you up to eternal life with him as a child of God. What a picture. I mean, that's what baptism by immersion is, you guys. 
This, it's, it's, it's visualizing this incredible spiritual reality. Thank you, God, for baptizing us into you. So God makes you spiritually born again. God spiritually covers you with Jesus Christ. God changes your spiritual position before him. God puts his name upon you and calls you his redeemed son or daughter. It's all of God and it's all of grace. This is how he adopts people into his family. And now to the third question. How does being an adopted child of God change my relationship to God and to other Christians? I don't have time here to talk about all the ways being adopted uh, by God changes your life here on earth and in heaven, but I would encourage you this week to spend time thinking about that. How would my life be different if I weren't adopted by God? If I didn't know him as father, like the, the perfect father who loves me and always has my back and is always there for me and he's gonna take care of me and it's his good pleasure to give me good gifts. How would my life be different? But now that I have him, how joyful and thankful am I because of that? Let me list you, though, five ways that God's adoption changes our lives that I thought of. First, you now have full access to God the Father whenever you want. Whenever you want. Ephesians 2.18 says, For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. And Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I don't know if you've ever, this idea just came to my head, but you know, when you want to meet with royalty, it, it's, it just doesn't happen that easy, okay? If you want to set up a meeting with Trump, it's not going to happen, okay? I remember in Swaziland, like, I don't know, Mick Alisi, one of our missionaries, is a chief over there, and I think he has the ability to meet with the king, if I remember, because it's an actual monarchy. But you have to bring, like, 30 cows. Like, seriously, just to talk to him. You have to bring 30 cows. And he's got pastures of thousands of cows, of, of people, just to talk to him. Listen, our sacrifice is Jesus. Once and for all. We have full access to him, Whenever. You don't even have to make an appointment with them. It's amazing. God is always there for us and, and with us. Thank you, Lord. You know, it's not a hassle to him. You get that? Because this whole thing was his idea. This isn't us imposing onto God. This was his idea. He said, come to me. Okay, second, it means you can now have a personal friendship with God. God made you his child because he wants a fatherly friendship with you. He wants a relationship with you. And that idea really should transform our prayer lives. He wants you to talk to him. He wants you to tell him everything you're feeling. And he cares for you. He wants you to listen to him also by reading his word. That's how he's speaking. And by following the Holy Spirit's leading in your life. Man, if you're here today, you're not a believer, come to Christ and be at peace with the Father. That's what he, he wants for you. That's turn away from your sin and turn to God. 
And then as your first step of obedience to God after believing him, to celebrate that he's adopted and baptized you into him, we encourage you to do what Jesus said and to visually display that by being baptized by immersion. What a cool thing, what an honor God invites us to be baptized in his name. To visually display, this is what Jesus did for me. That's amazing. What a privilege it is to be able to call God of the universe, Abba. He's my dad, and he loves me, and he's never gonna leave me behind or forget me. Third, be humble before the Lord and seek to glorify his name in, in every part of your life. In mercy and in love, the Lord adopted you, Christian, when you were far away from him. You were not the cause of his adopting you. He is the cause of adopting you. So let him know that you love him for that. Thank God for that. Glorify his name in private and in public. Point the whole world to him. Follow his commands because you love him. You're, not because now you have to try to earn his, oh boy, is he gonna kick me out of the family if I'm not perfect? That's not what it's about. It's like God's freed you from all that junk so now you can pursue friendship with him and his holiness without fear of being kicked out, without fear of condemnation. You get to know the Lord of the universe as your dad. Be humble before him. Glorify his name and don't be ashamed of your family name. Fourth, God adopts you into his family, which is the church. So God's plan for his people isn't for us to live all of our lives in isolation. God wants us to look out for one another and to take care of one another. God wants us to encourage each other, to spur each other on in, the, in following Jesus. God wants us to maintain the unity that he has already given to us spiritually. He wants us to love one another. He wants us to serve the church, to expand the kingdom. He's given you gifts. He wants you to use your gifts for the edification of the body and for the glory of his name. You've been adopted into a family now, his church. And then fifth, Christians come from all races and all nations, so there's no room for racism or for selfish nationalism in the family of God for any Christian around the world. See, when we hear about foreigners and other nations, we've got to remember that many of those people are our brothers and sisters in Christ. <laughs> you ever thought about that? The vast majority of your brothers and sisters in Christ are not American. According to the worldatlas.com, if you just look at Protestant Christians, there are about one billion self-proclaimed Protestant Christians in the world, and only 20% of those live in America. That means 80% of Protestant Christians in our world live outside of America. That's amazing. One of, the, one of the places the church is booming most, we just need to know this, is in Iran. It's true. It's booming by God's grace in one of the most highly persecuted areas. So when we think about Iran as the nation, let's be praying for the people who are, for everybody there, but for what God is doing there too. 
We've got brothers and sisters in Christ there. And the family of God becomes, comes even before our nation, okay, as far as our loyalty. We've got brothers and sisters in Christ. If you've ever been on a mission trip, you know this is true. One of the greatest joys I've ever had is Holding hands with my brothers and sisters, I, and when I was in high school, I got to take, in early college, two mission trips to Baja, Mexico, and go work in these little villages in, 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 in Mexico, and hold hands with these Christians in this little broken-down church, and pray with them. And I didn't know what they were saying. They were praying to Padre, I think, and, and the Father in heaven. I was just like, this is amazing. And then going over to Africa and praying with Michalisi and all these orphans. And we're praying, they're praying, praying, praying in Siswati and we're praying to the same Lord who transcends the nations. That's why the whole future that John, God gave to John in uh, the vision God gave to John in Revelation is this, Revelation 7, 9 to 10. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could no- number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out together with a loud voice, I throw in together, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, God is the one who created us. God is the one who decided the color of our skin. God is the one who decided where we would be born. And thank God he predestined to adopt people from all nations, from all people groups into his family. So that means we we really need a spirit of humility wherever we live in this world as Christians to love other people, regardless of what they look like or where they're from, to look at them as image bearers of the God of the universe and his potential brothers and sisters in Christ. That's amazing that the Father has lavished this kind of love on us, that we should be called sons and daughters of God. Now, there's so much more I could say, but we're taking the Lord's Supper here in a minute, and I wanted to show you a worship video that goes along with this text. So, as we watch this video by Stephen Curtis Chapman, I want you to read the words on the screen, and as the Spirit leads you, please pray to God, thank God, confess sins to God that, that the Spirit brings to your mind, Thank him for making you his sons and daughters. And then after the video, the communion servers can come forward and we'll take the Lord's Supper together. But I hope the video is working. We'll see.